You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, welcome in. Late Kick is live. It is Tuesday night, December 8th, the year of our Lord, 2020. We're jam-packed tonight. I was going through what we are going to discuss tonight, my promise to you, in less than an hour, and I decided we could probably do four shows out of this one show tonight, but we're not the kind of folks that like to drag stuff out. When we're done, we're done. We move on to the next topic, like 95% of the time. So we are talking about the playoff tonight. Very broad, generalized, not going to go down that road, only because we're going to go down it at length a little bit later this week. I'll tell you what I mean by that in just a second. It's very unique. We haven't done something like this at least this year, so um, I think you'll like it. Also, several coaching updates. Now, we've been doing this. Some of these schools we've been hitting on like every show, but that's only because there's new stuff to hit on every show. And I got to be honest with you, some stuff's taken me by surprise. Like the Harbaugh stuff, that's not surprising. Tom Herman, not surprising. There's some other stuff out there that's pretty surprising. We're going to discuss all that tonight. Gus Malzahn, I think, is in legitimate trouble at Auburn. This isn't something I expected. I have spoken to you at length about this. Uh, We have disagreed. Uh, Me and some of you Auburn fans, we've disagreed about this, but it's your program, not my program, as I always tell you. So uh, we'll discuss where that is. Um, Does the Mississippi State game matter Saturday. To me, it's always seemed ludicrous that the fate of a man who has been there close to a decade would rest on four quarters of football. I don't know that that's the case, but we'll talk about that. LSU is a mess. I mean, LSU is on fire, figuratively at least. And um, it's a unique situation. I was over on uh, the Go 24-7 board earlier today, and I said, it's a situation where a lot of you had reached out to me in the DM feature. DM means direct message. Someone asked me that. Uh, DM means direct message. The DM feature on the 24-7 Sports website, as well as Twitter, as well as email. So you guys hit the triple header there of asking me, hey, just just, just slap the program tonight. And I'm not necessarily going to do that. I'm going to be truthful about it because there's a lot that needs to be said and has to be said about LSU. It's not a good situation. And it's not just a 2020 situation. That's the most important part. We're going to talk about that in just a second. Also, some thoughts on Shane Beamer. When we were talking to you Sunday night, he had been announced, and I gave you some initial thoughts, but that was before the press conference that got, at this point, 100% approval rating from the Gamecock faithful. So we're going to discuss all the things I just told you, as well as give out two new best bets. One of our games got postponed, which I learned about about 14 minutes ago. So let's dive into it, because we've got a whole lot to get to tonight. Let me refresh the old computer, so there is no excuse. All right, college football playoff rankings just released. I did not watch a nanosecond of the coverage, only because last week it put me behind. So I know what the rankings are. We already knew what the rankings were going to be. They're unchanged. At the top, at least, they've been unchanged for weeks. Bama 1, Notre Dame 2, Clemson 3, Ohio State 4. All that's unchanged. As expected, though, things have gotten a little muddy. And this is what we've spent the majority of time talking about. It's what, uh, judging by my inbox, you guys have spent the majority of time focused on today, the last couple of days. And that's this whole Ohio State deal. Well, now it's reality. Okay, They got the Michigan State game in, but now the Michigan game has been canceled. 24 hours, by the way, after we were hearing some positive vibes out of Michigan. Did you notice that? So, yeah, things went uphill and then downhill very quickly. So that game's canceled. What does that mean? 
obviously, for those who have been living their life all day and haven't been up to rest on the minute-to-minute changes here, well, it means Ohio State's not going to be able to play the minimum threshold of required conference games to play in the conference championship game, at least as it stands at 7.04 p.m. Central Standard Time on Tuesday night. So they got rules and they got guidelines. And as Jeffrey Rush's character said in Pirates of the Caribbean, guidelines are not rules, okay? We're not working with rules here. We're working with guidelines. And I told you right or wrong last week, just like Whitney in the fourth grade geography bee, I told you she didn't show up. She was sick for class one day. Everyone knew she was the smartest kid in class. They just pushed her onto the finals anyway. Everyone knows Ohio State's the best team in the Big Ten, or at least they think they do, and I am of that camp. I think they're the best team in the Big Ten. They're going to find a way. Now, I don't have to feel right about it. You don't have to feel right about it. The whole situation, to be honest with you, kind of makes me feel like I need to take a shower because I'm not at fault. You're not at fault. Ohio State's not at fault. It's the conference that's at fault. But see, the conference doesn't have a team. You know, they don't have to necessarily pay the penance. And really, at the end of the day, it's one of those situations where you screwed everything up, but you can make it right. You just rewrite the rules at the last minute. Here is the terrible part here. Well, depending on your perspective, Indiana is a very good football team this year. In fact, Indiana's probably got their best team they've had in several generations on the field in in the most unlikely of years. Kind of makes the bigger programs that are struggling look pretty bad by comparison, doesn't it? And so Indiana will, in all likelihood, technically qualify for that conference title spot. And yet you're going to have to look at Tom Allen and you're going to have to look at that program. Oh, well, (laughs) You're going to, because I'm not going to do it. You're going to have to look at him, and you're going to have to say, yeah, it's a good season, but go go sit down. Go somewhere. Just go home. We got this from now on. And um, that's going to be it, unless they find another way to juggle things up there. And I don't necessarily know where things stand right now, but sometimes I love debate. Like Sometimes I'll, I'll feel comfortable going back and forth. I mean, I spend large chunks of my day talking back and forth with you guys. You know, I was in it last night at like 1.30 in the morning, and I know good and well the person I was arguing with lives on the East Coast. So what were you doing? But anyway, I was arguing about the merits versus the detractions of expanding the playoff and whatnot, and that's pretty common. So sometimes I like that. I don't like it right here. I am of the opinion that we got to do what we got to do here. Oh, I'm of the opinion the Big Ten is going to do what they think they have to do to get Ohio State in the conference championship game because the whole mentality is, all right, the playoff committee themselves, they're looking for a reason to put the Buckeyes in. Let's just give them a shot at the conference championship. They'll win it. You know, that's the plan at least. And then they'll have that conference championship in their back pocket. And that will negate all of the arguments about how many games we played because that conference championship, you know, that'll, that'll bring the resume up to par with everyone else. And then conference championship will overtake a team that's comparable, but doesn't have a conference championship. That's the whole thought. I think that's probably valid. I think that's probably how it'll play out. The reason I don't want to debate it is because if someone walks in, like if Tom Allen were to walk in here right now and he were to be like that commercial right now where the little stuffed animal's on the front of the car and it's freezing cold and then the little stuffed animal crawls across the parking lot and it gets in the warm Buick or Lexus, whatever. Um, They don't sponsor the show, so I don't really care about the brand. But you know the commercial I'm talking about. I don't want to look little stuffed animal Tom Allen in the eyes and say, no, you stay out in the cold. Because he's going to look at me. He's going to say, all I did was play by the rules you gave us. All we did was try our hardest. And you're going to tell me that our hardest wasn't good enough only because the sticker on the side of our helmet doesn't mean quite as much monetarily to the conference as the sticker on the side of their helmet. There is that small issue of that team having beat your team. But even having said that, Tom Allen has a point. So my my point, my counterpoint would not be to debate him. 
even though I'm on the other side of the fence, philosophically, I guess, I would just sit there. And if he wanted to yell in my face, I'd let him yell in my face. And if he wanted to scream until his vocal cords gave out, I would let him do it. That's how kind of dirty I feel about this whole thing. And then I would look at him and I would say, Tom, I'm sorry. It's just best for business. And I'd feel terrible about it because that's not competition. Having said that, I'm not in charge, thankfully. That's the direction I think they're going to go. Now, here's the whole next part. The whole next part is there is the assumption out there that all the favorites are going to win out. And uh, even if even if favorites don't win out, you know, like if Notre Dame were to beat Clemson and or Florida beats Alabama, well, everyone's got their scenarios, everyone's got their paths. So we're in an editorial meeting the other day. I showed up one minute late, and this is the price you pay for showing up one minute late. You don't even know whose idea it was. But I log into the Zoom meeting, and uh, we got folks talking about different scenarios. And since we all have differing opinions, well, let's do a show on it. So we're going to do a show on it. I think we're recording it tomorrow morning. It's going to be in the podcast feed for the Late Kick. I think Thursday, uh, Barton and Bud are going to run it in their podcast feed. I think the College Football Daily is going to run it in their podcast feed. So the point is, you're not going to be able to escape this. I recommend you come to the Late Kick podcast feed to listen to it, but go wherever you want to. But here's what it's going to be. It's going to be Simmons. It's going to be Bud. It's going to be me. It's going to be Trey. It's going to be, who else do we have in this thing? I don't know. We're going to have several different voices, and all these scenarios are going to be put out there. And we're going to see how much disagreement there really is or if there is a consensus kind of unified opinion. But I can tell you right now, because I've seen the Google Doc, there are some differences of opinion. So I've been listening to you guys, because half the time I let you make my argument for me. But that's going to be really fun, so look forward to that. Uh, probably, if you're a subscriber to the Late Kick podcast feed, you probably see that Thursday. And if you're not already, subscribe to the Late Kick podcast feed. <sighs> let me gather myself. This is going to be tough to talk about. This time, uh, This time last year... It was a good time for me because I was well ahead of the curve on LSU, and it was a good time for LSU folks for obvious reasons. There were two themes around LSU football coming into this year. The first theme was that of the house money swagger. You know, the mood tracker we did, and we talked about the house money swagger that you have when you just won a title. And even if everything falls off a cliff this year, we got the title, and here was the second theme that really coincided with the first theme that made it okay. Everything will be back to normal in 2021, right? It's basically a hangover philosophy, except it's going to last a whole year. But even if it lasts a whole year, like that's it. When we bring in the new year, it'll be out with the hangover. There was one fear, and it's always been tucked away in the very, very back of even the most hardcore LSU fans mind. And that is, what if things were to get so bad and so irreversibly off course this year that we couldn't put the lid on 2020 and this spilled over into 2021 and beyond? And it's happening right now, right before your eyes. So let me take you back to the beginning of the year. We had had a lot of drama in the offseason with LSU, but then we finally got to the season. And what people hoped, and I'm chief among you, what people hoped was you'd kind of stretch your chest out and you'd hit that finish line. And once we got into the season, uh, things would be okay. They'd just figure themselves out. Still going to have a more talented roster, even with the opt-outs and the draft departures and then most of the teams we play, especially this team we're playing in week one, right? Mississippi State comes into town, double-digit favorite against them, and they smoked LSU. And afterwards, my take on that was the reason LSU lost is not so much because Mississippi State's about to rewrite the record books down here, which is what some folks thought. I mean, some folks were talking Heisman with K.J. Costello and Coach of the Year with Mike Leach. Well, that's all subsided. You notice that? 
But guess what hasn't subsided? What I thought about LSU after that game. I came on here, and some of you disagreed, and that was fine, but I said, the reason that team at home lost is that's not a football team. They don't look like a football team. Now, my philosophy there and my assumption was kind of this generational confluence of events that happened. Uh, Part of it was the draft, obviously. Part of it was COVID taking away spring. Part of it was the wave of opt-outs that LSU saw. You had some social unrest behind the scenes down there that some programs handled a whole lot better than others. And then also you had personal stuff going on in Orgeron's life. So You can say that other programs had to deal with that. Well, yeah, to varying degrees. I don't think they all dealt with the confluence that LSU dealt with. And so it all comes together. And the way I looked at it coming out of that Mississippi State game was that it's not a team. It's a bunch of guys. Like, they're all in the locker room. Like, they have the uniforms on. They got the numbers. But that's not a team. Whatever that magic ingredient is that sort of of bonds a team together, and it's more than just a collection of individuals, that didn't exist in week one at LSU. So then my next question was, there's still talent here. So what week is it going to happen? How deep into the season are we going to have to get before LSU is a team? The answer is it was never going to happen. It never occurred. At no point this year did LSU hit stride. Even some of the most positive moments in this season occurred in losses. Like last, last week, for example, 20-7 to 7, uh, at, at Texas A&M. I mean, held a top six, top seven, whatever they are, team under three touchdowns. That's nice. It's a loss. It's a double-digit loss in a rivalry game. They never became a team. Okay, so even having said all that, that still falls under theme number two, which is, oh, we'll just limit all the damage to 2020, and then we'll move on. Okay, so then we get into the season a little bit, and we just had the Alabama blowout last week, and now it started to really go sideways last night publicly. Last night, if you were paying attention last night, you know what I'm talking about. Eric Gilbert, who was uh, for my money, the best player I've seen in person in high school. He played at Marietta here in, well, I say here in Georgia. I was in Georgia when he was at Marietta. Uh, it, a lot of folks thought he was going to Georgia then. As his announcement drew closer, he's going to Alabama. Well, he shocks everyone. It was a genuine five-star shock the world deal. He goes to LSU, and he goes down there. He's going to be an immediate contributor, which he has been. Well, last night, Eric Gilbert just decided he probably doesn't want to play for LSU anymore. And there's nothing set in stone right now, but the smart money down in Baton Rouge, that guy, that guy's going to opt out of this season, and he may not be back, may just go home. And then who knows what his future holds. There's, there's a lot of speculation out there. There are very few facts, because to be honest with you, I don't think Eric Gilbert knows what his future holds. So if he doesn't know, by default, no moderator on any message board can know that. But I will tell you this, that happening and that going public, and then Ed Orgeron confirming it this morning, which I'll get to in just a second, that triggered a lot of emotion. I knew it was coming, and I was validated in that assumption that it was coming. And a lot of you had been holding it back, holding it back, and then once you saw this high profile, this recruitment was a spectacle, and him coming to LSU was a spectacle, and once you saw that guy publicly say, I don't want anything to do with this anymore, well, in not so many words say that, with his actions, Uh, A lot of folks let loose. It's like there was nothing more to hold back. And there's been a bunch of anger because a bunch of folks close to the LSU program, they've seen it unraveling and they felt it unraveling behind the scenes. And to be honest with you, the first thing that that raised my antenna, and I talked about it on the air, was Orgeron. Uh, I don't know if bold's the right word. I think in retrospect, it's more ignorance. Being ignorant enough, again, respectfully, to go public and say, the defensive coordinator from our national title team, Dave Aranda, I, I've never heard a bad word said about him aside from Ed Orgeron. 
that guy's out of here and Bo Pelini's in. We're going to be improved now. So unnecessarily, by the way. It's like no one out here has a problem with Dave Aranda. So the only problem we're going to have is if we got your back and then you just convince us he was a bad dude. Well, how's that working out now? Uh, you didn't have to wait until this weekend, certainly. You saw off the jump at the beginning of the season, just t- total ineptitude defensively. Never got better. It never, at no point did it ever get better. And so that kind of raised my antenna. Because here's the thing. For him to have said that, it would, by default, mean he saw something in practice that convinced him they are better now than they were last year. There is nothing about that product at any point this year that's been put on the field that could ever have validated that. So you got to ask yourself, what was the head coach of this program ever thinking? What did he ever see? And the only thing that you can come up with is the same thing that I would tell my sister if she were questioning play calling in a football game. I would tell her, Lauren, you don't really know what you're talking about. You need to keep your mouth shut on this. The head coach of a program is not supposed to sound like that, though, especially if it's his program. The head coach of the program with which we're talking about probably needs to have a pretty firm grasp on the uh, – I, I don't know if I want to use the word I was going to use, so I won't. See, that's, that's that filter. you got to work on it if you're going to do live TV, kids. The strength, shall we say of units on his team. You got to know what you have there. And he didn't. Okay. So then we move into the season a little bit and then you start to hear about it and you start to hear about the opt-outs and the reason for the opt-outs. And he came on 104.5 down in uh, Louisiana this morning, Ed Orgeron did. And it's, I think it's a weekly appearance with T. Bob Hebert and the guys down there. And he shot all this down and I don't, I don't buy it for a second for the record. Ed Orgeron uh, telling you or telling them and then through them telling us, no, it's not a really a big deal. You know, it's it's overblown. I, I don't get the sense at all that there's been any kind of dissension, any kind of disconnect. Well, here's the thing. If he's the reason for the disconnect, he'd probably be the last person in the world to ever acknowledge it, wouldn't he? I think that stands to reason. So the root of the issue here is culture. A lot of folks think this is coach speak or this is just cliches. No, it's it's everything a program's built on. It's culture. And here's the problem, as it turns out. Culture is cultivated and is a reflection of leadership. Ed Orgeron's not a defensive specialist. Ed Orgeron is not an offensive specialist. Ed Orgeron is supposed to be a culture specialist. If the culture sucks, who's it going to fall on? He knows. Ed Orgeron knows. He's not going to go on a radio show and admit it. He knows whose plate it falls on. You've got virtually no respect from a portion of that roster for things that have happened earlier this year. Staffers, I've been told, very concerned behind the scenes, but also kind of feeling alienated as if, you know, what am I going to do? Speak up? I don't want to speak up. What's going to happen to me if I speak up around here? Roster mismanagement has been a crippling issue for this team. I would encourage you after the show to go over to Go247, G-E-A-U-X, 247, and check out Shay Dixon's piece just about the LSU roster. Don't even concern yourself with anything else. Just look at the details about their scholarship numbers. Because, see, here's the problem. Well, one of many. I keep saying the problem. One of many problems at LSU right now is when Eric Gilbert threatens to opt out, oh, it's a big deal. And Ed Orgeron runs to the nearest radio show, and he says, I- I'm talking to him. I'm trying to convince him to stay. If he, if he does opt out, we'd welcome him back here next year. I don't have a problem with that. But, you see, the same is not said when backups walk out the door down there. And sometimes backups are walking out the door because they were horribly misevaluated in recruiting and they should never have had a scholarship spot down there. 
or it could be internally things were mismanaged. But for whatever reason, you know, Eric Gilbert's not the first opt-out down there and won't be the last. But, I mean, if your backup right guard opts out, you know, it's not front-page news. Like, it's not going to dominate the headlines of 247sports.com. But you know what you don't get back from that spot any more than you do if Gilbert opts out? You don't just immediately get that roster spot back. And if it happens once or twice, that's okay. But you ask any player personnel guy or girl out there, you start having wave after wave of these things happening, you don't rectify that. It's not like you say, oh, screw it. In December, we'll sign 32. It's in 2005. It's not meat market anymore. You can't go out there like you did at Ole Miss and just oversign and immediately over the span of one or two classes – we're going to fix our roster problems. They got, I think the count was 66 scholarship players right now. The cap's 85. Most programs like to float between, you know, 75, 85, closer to 85. Uh, they're not close. And they can only sign 25 per class. They got a problem right now. And that's before any other opt-outs happen. I know there are rumors, nothing confirmed so far, but there are a lot of issues here. And so I go back to this main point. I don't know that this is something that has a lid put on it in 2020 because new hires don't solve this. If it's a culture problem, then that stems from leadership. It's a soil issue, in other words. No, no seed in the way of a new offensive coordinator or a new defensive coordinator or a great recruiting class. Those seeds aren't growing if the soil is poor. The soil right now is poor at LSU. What's the solution? I have no idea because really when we're honest with ourselves, the only true solution is not even something we can speak out loud right now. Outside of just off-field scandal at a magnitude, the likes of which we haven't seen, who knows what the future holds. Outside of that, I mean, you and I both know that's not happening immediately. So I, I wish I had answers for you, but I will tell you I'm observing the same thing you are, and I feel the same way you do. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. How about Michigan? Oh, the computer's updating at the worst possible time. All right, there we go. All right, Colin, let's start over for VOD purposes. At the University of Michigan, there's been a lot of talk, and it's all been that talk. There's been talk on this show as well about the University of Michigan. Past two or three weeks, we've been hitting on this pretty hard. And I've indicated that there are two paths, really, at Michigan. Path number one is Jim Harbaugh leaves at the end of the year to take a job in the NFL. Path number two is... Jim Harbaugh has a contract extension, and he signs it, and he's the head coach at Michigan next year. There was no path three. Never saw him being fired. Even at the worst of the worst moments this year for Michigan, never saw it coming. Um, I don't know how to say this. I, those weren't guesses. Uh, sometimes we guess, and when I do, normally 
if you've watched the show long enough, you understand how to read this. I'll tell you when I'm guessing. Those aren't guesses. That's just the way it is. Bruce Hornsby. That's just the way it is. Now, having said that the last couple of weeks, since then, some new information has come out that it sort of seemingly verified what we've said on this show, but I want you to pay close attention because really not a whole lot's changed. So John Bacon last night, or it's been in the last few days, uh, came out with a report, and I want to read a quote from it. Uh, it. It's a good piece. I encourage you to go read it from John Bacon. But he said, A.D. Ward Manual has discussed a contract extension with a lower base salary and buyout, but good provisions to hire top assistants and large bonus incentives, which, by the way, and this is me talking now, not Mr. Bacon, that's how all contracts in college football should work. Probably the biggest mismatch that no one talks about in all of the sporting public these days is agents versus college administrators. I tweeted that out an hour ago, and one of you hit the nail on the head, and you said, well, that's because it's not the administrator's money they're giving away to begin with. Yeah, it's actually a much broader issue on college campuses than just athletics, by the way, but that's another road down whence we won't go. So that's all. That's part two here. That's all. What I just read you, that's all. A lot of folks have taken the unnecessary leap from that that Harbaugh signing an extension. No, not necessarily. So this is where I want you to pay close attention. This is the year, this is the time of year, rather, where one season is winding down and the other season is just beginning. That's the agency season. That's where the real players in the sport that you always hear about, but you never really see the face of, because they like it that way, this is when they start playing. They're the professionals. They're all five stars. And so the same report stated, that's the quote that's being circulated, the same report and subsequent reports have gone on to state there have been several NFL teams that have reached out to Jim Harbaugh. Um, I can come as close to confirming that as I can without having sat in the room and listened. Not that I believe he's had direct conversations. You understand how this works. But it's possible, because there are a few scenarios here. He hasn't signed anything. That's, that's all it's been left at. We're going to talk about it at the end of the year. So really nothing has changed other than the AD there and Jim Harbaugh making a public comment on it. Because Harbaugh said, hey, it's always been my stance. We're going to talk about it at the end of the year. Ward Manual, uh, it's on the table. We're going to talk about it when the time is right. It doesn't change anything. It's just that since it's been acknowledged and everyone's dying and starving for some information, you feel like something changed. Really, it didn't. So let me throw you a few scenarios here. Let's just kick these your way. Do with them what you want. Number one, it's possible Jim Harbaugh came up with this. It's possible that this is his idea. And it's possible that it's his idea... And he wants to stay at Michigan. It's possible a lot of this NFL stuff is just overblown, but he also understands financial times are very tight at Michigan right now. And also, to be honest, he's just underperformed. So if he's going to lower his base salary from seven or eight a year to five or six a year, but he's got a higher pool for top assistance and he's got an incentive-laden contract, so be it. If you're confident in yourself, you should never have a problem with that anyway. But number two, it's possible that Michigan's not thrilled with him, but they also have a stronger and a higher principled stance that they're going to take on this. So while they're not thrilled with the performance, they're not going to fire him. That's just off the table because it's Michigan. And that should go on a t-shirt because it's Michigan. That's a bumper sticker right now. But because it's Michigan, maybe they're not going to fire him. They don't like where they are. They're going to negotiate his buyout down. They're they're going to renegotiate and extend him with a lower salary. That's the trade-off for getting the extension. Or how about this third scenario? It's possible 
The, the reason this has been such a moot point, seemingly, and they've had such little incentive to make a public comment on it, is because uh, what if they both know it's never going to come to this anyway? What if, they, what if both parties are aware that the NFL is Jim Harbaugh's future? Now, that's pure speculation. I'm not even guessing that. I'm just kind of throwing it out there. Are we going to have to wait to the end of the season? That's been the question. When, when are we going to wait, and what's the point in time where we're going to finally hear something solid on this? And it's always been kind of at the end of the year. I don't know if, I don't know if everyone up there has looked around. I think most of the fans have. The end of the year is probably here for Michigan. They're not playing Saturday. They may very well not play the game day of the, of the Big Ten Championship. Like They may just be done. So if they are, and we get final word on that sooner rather than later, when can we expect to hear something? NFL season going to be winding down. It's, you got the early signing date that's coming up next Wednesday. It's, there is no perfect time. That's the point. So I did want to address this on the way out the door. I, I got to be careful here, but I wanted to address this. Uh, there was a report circulating out there earlier today that, um, remember which season I told you has just started. And with that in mind, there was a report circulating today that Matt Campbell, it's either Notre Dame or Texas for him, Iowa State head coach. It's either Notre Dame or Texas. He wouldn't even be interested in Michigan. Um, allow me to summarize our thoughts here on that. There's the report, and there's what I want you to do with that. That's false, and we'll leave it at that. Let's move on. Oh, boy. Where do we want to go first? Let's go Texas first. Tom Herman is still the head coach of Texas. Texas is playing Kansas Saturday. They're favored by over four touchdowns. They're probably going to win. They're probably going to finish the year eight and three. What is the latest with Tom Herman here? Well, it seems as though 95% of you have moved on from the idea of Urban Meyer being the future head coach at Texas. Now, I do want to reiterate for those of you who, in retrospect, are saying, oh, there was a never, there was never a shot of this happening. I think that's wrong. What I do believe is it was a long shot, and I do believe Urban Meyer had like 15 boxes that needed to be checked, and Texas checked as many of them as they, as they could. I think there are some things that were out of Texas's control that Urban Meyer was going to have to have, and it's much more nuanced stuff, but it wasn't a money deal, like it wasn't a, a resources deal, a promise for facilities. I don't think it was any of that. I think there were some things on Urban Meyer's side that he would have wanted to secure if he were to ever even uh, venture down that road, and I don't think he was going to get them. And it's nothing Texas could really do. So the question is still, is anyone else worth the $25 million buyout? And I want you to, again, theme tonight. Consider how ludicrous it is that we're throwing around that kind of number. On what planet, in what era, does Tom Herman ever have any business walking around with a $25 million buyout? Where was he ever going at any point? This was after the Sugar Bowl when they beat Georgia. That's, that's, when, that's when it happened. Uh, much to the chagrin of a lot of people down there who were overruled, you throw it out there just because you have it. And just call, you don't ever think it's going to be necessary anyway because, hey, this guy just won the Sugar Bowl. So if anything, it, just, it makes you feel good. Hey, we're, we're married to this guy. Yeah, you sure are. Well, you're chained to him. I wouldn't say married. You're chained to him now. Admins versus agents, I'll say it again, it's the most lopsided rivalry in all of sports, not just college, all of sports. So Texas, like I said, probably about to finish 8-3. and three. Now you get optics involved. Back when you had just lost to Oklahoma, things were terrible. The optics were bad. Everyone was on board. Well, now, probably going to be 8-3. and three. And so you got a sizable portion, and I understand it perfectly, perfectly well. you got a sizable portion 
of the fan base and then outsiders whose opinions shouldn't matter, but they often do, who are going to look and they're going to say, you can't fire a coach who's eight and three. Well, sure you can. You can if you don't feel like he's the right guy for your job. However, this is not just an apples-apples deal. Buyouts involved. So then we circle back to the question that we've been asking, and we're still asking it today, and I would imagine we'll be asking it at least through Saturday. Is there anyone else on any list that you've seen, or maybe a list we haven't seen that Crystal Conte and company have seen, where a name exists that is a definitive upgrade over Tom Herman, so much so that you're willing to pay $25 million to buy him out and pay a new staff. Does that name exist? I can't tell you I've seen that name, but I will tell you this. I do think there may be names out there that we are not privy to, that haven't been put on any message board or put in any headline that could be in play. Because I'm a believer that the Texas job does have that kind of stroke in the coaching industry still. I think there's one more run that they're going to make. I don't know if we'll ever know about it. I do think there's one more run at least that they're going to make because I think there's enough folks out there with enough money who have severed ties with Tom Herman, the idea of him being the coach that they want to take another shot or two at someone else, not named Urban Meyer, before it's just accepted, hey, not ideal, but this is going to be our guy, for better or for worse, at least moving into 2021. Now that's Tom Herman. What about Gus Malzahn? I'm genuinely surprised at this. I'm close to Auburn, and i got to tell you, I am genuinely surprised at how much smoke there is around Gus Malzahn. As recently as a week ago, I mean, coming out of the Iron Bowl, I was hearing, and that's, that's as bad as it gets. You get smoked by your arch rival. You would think things are going to be as bad as they can get out of that. And I was hearing, it's not going to happen. This year, it's just not going to happen. Uh, Malzahn has as many detractors as he has. There are a lot of merits on his resume, too. You're not hearing about him right now because it's not advantageous to talk about him right now. But listen, regardless, he is in real trouble. And I, I want to make something clear. A lot of times when you're going to fire a coach, the automatic thing is, like we were talking about with Herman, the buyout. The buyout, is it worth it? Well, whether it's worth it, that we can address momentarily. Auburn's got the money. I've never indicated they don't have the money. I think some of you have misconstrued some of the things I've said on the show. No, no, no. It's not that they don't have the money. If you understand some of the names that are on various rooms and things around the Auburn campus, you know, rain and whatnot. Well, if you understand what kind of money the rain name has, for example, they got, they got lumber money at Auburn. Lumber money, people. They're not hurting to buy a coach out. It's whether it's prudent. That, that you don't become that rich by making very, very um, unwise financial moves, shall we say. So you may think, well, you, you got a, a nine, 10 figure net worth. It's just a drop in the bucket. It's not about that. It's about whether it's prudent to make the move. Now, if you talk to some folks around Auburn, they'll tell you money's been there. It's not that they're passing around the hat right now. It's been there. They wanted some of them to make a move on him a while back. You had a president that's no longer there, by the way, who may have stood in the way. Various BOT members have stood in the way. And whatever the case may be, there is some thinking down there that I personally haven't had conveyed to me. doesn't mean anything, really. But there is some thinking down there by some people in the know that there's been enough movement to make a move on Gus Malzahn. I am still in the camp, for the record, that I'd be surprised if this happened. I'd be surprised if Auburn fired Gus Malzahn. Not shot anymore, but I'd be surprised. I keep asking for replacements. It's the game we always play. Just go round and round and round. It's your program. 
You have a right to be emotional about it because you invest in it, financially and emotionally, to the degree that you should respect. Is that Keith Niebuhr in the background? I think it was. You should respect a legitimate return on your investment. I get the passion. I appreciate it. I fully appreciate it. However, it is my opinion that you don't make a move like this to hire someone who could do as good as Malzahn or whoever your coach is. You make the move only if you have someone out there who is reasonable, is a legitimate candidate. Urban Meyer doesn't fit that description. Just let's note that. Is someone out there definitively better? If that person's out there, I'm on board with the move, to be honest with you. Uh, there's very few people who would benefit from a high-flying Auburn program than me, so I've got all the motivation in the world for it. I haven't seen that name that I think is realistic for them to get and would be a definitive upgrade. And some of the names you guys have thrown at me are either not realistic or are not nearly the definitive upgrade that some of you think they are. Here's his biggest... Really, you got to be kind of closer to the Auburn program to pick up on this. One of his biggest issues... And it's just a, it's a character thing. Not that he lacks character. I guess it's a personality thing. That's the word I should use. Malzahn doesn't have a ton of friends down there. Like he doesn't have a ton of allies. He's, he's kind of reclusive. He's, he's kind of aloof, which is all well and good when you're winning. You know, if you, if you head down the road and go eat at Waffle House after wins, as long as you're winning, like that's cool. But then when you're not, all of a sudden it's, go eat at your house, weirdo. What are you doing? Get out of here. College kids need this seat. There's just a bunch of different things like that where Malzahn's not one, for better or for worse, to go around slapping backs and, you know, working the um, working the speaking circuit. It's just not his scene. His scene is football. And if it's not football related, you know, he's not really interested in it. I tell you, Nick Saban's got that mentality, but Saban is a master at working that scene. Like Nick Saban works 380 days a year, I'm convinced. Guy's all over the place. I mean, he'll he'll grind it out all day and then he'll hop in the jet and go do a speaking engagement that night. And you'll never even know about it. He's all over the place. Not that he's ever been trouble. He'll he'll decide when he walks away from Alabama. But if Malzahn does that, just that, these are the kind of situations where if folks are on the fence, it probably buys you another year. He doesn't have that kind of equity built up. And he really never has. The only ally he has is the absurd contract that he and Jimmy Sexton backed Auburn into a corner and forced to sign in 2017 before the SEC title game. It was a brilliant move on their part. It was a desperation move on Auburn's part. And if you want to hate on that, I want you to remember what the situation was when that happened. It's not just in a vacuum. Always remember, that was when Tennessee, it seemed like, was burning to the ground. They'd gone through 47 different candidates and been told no, and eventually they settled on Jeremy Pruitt. But the powers that be at Auburn were looking at Malzahn, having just beat number one Georgia and number one Alabama in consecutive, well, three weeks, two times in three weeks, hadn't been done before. They're about to go to the SEC title game. He's totally rescued the program and the season from the depths of you know where. He wants an extension. We can't tell him no. How are we going to tell him no? And the other thing that snuck in the back door, this is agent season, and he's represented by the best. Arkansas came in the back door. And very conveniently, these rumors about Arkansas willing to back a Brinks truck right up to his back door and take him up to Fayetteville, those rumors were circulating. All that was happening the week of the SEC championship game. So before you talk about how stupid it was, you got to remember the factors. They were looking at Tennessee and saying, 
Tennessee can't even they can't even get a coach. We want we don't want to be in that situation. Plus, if we fire the guy that just beat number one twice in three weeks and he's headed the SEC title game and we won't renew him, so he walks. How attractive is our job going to be? They had no choice. They did what they had to do, and now you reap the consequences, I guess, of that. Because that's the ally that Gus Malzahn has. His contract right now has been one of his biggest allies. Let's get some thoughts on Shane Beamer here right quick. Uh, Several of you asked about this. Shane Beamer, new head coach at South Carolina, 100% approval rating after the press conference. If you are a press conference guy or girl, boy, you're on board. What I thought was going to be called the Shane train, but apparently we're going to go with Beam Team. I guess it works. It rhymes. Uh, But... You know, I had my money on Shane Train for obvious reasons. And so it's important to keep in mind something here. As we circle back around to, do we think it was the right hire or not? Well, I made my opinion well known. Like if I'm running things up there, Billy Napier would have been my number one candidate. Well, Napier didn't get the job. And you can believe whatever you want to about the way that went down. But it's important to note, South Carolina seems to have gotten their guy. Now, whether other people were offered the job or whatnot, I'm not talking about that necessarily. This is the guy that had the most traction from day one. It's not a name that snuck in there late. It's not a name that after they had to backtrack and reassess, after they got told no by plan A and B, he all of a sudden became a priority and on the radar. This is not how this happened. As soon as the job was open, and really before it was open, Shane Beamer's name was front and center. Probably several reasons for that, but the point is, He had support nearly universally behind the scenes there. I'm going to tell you why that's important in a second, but they got their man. So whatever happens down the road, that means I can rightfully sit here and say South Carolina is getting exactly what they asked for. Whether they're winning 10 games or losing 10 games, you're getting exactly what you asked for. So I preferred Napier, but they got their guy. Maybe their criteria far different than mine. Love and passion and then just genuine energy If you've got those commodities in your head coach, it'll solve a lot of problems in this business. If you've just got a guy who genuinely loves the program and he's willing to run through a brick wall face first for the program instead of viewing it as a rung on a ladder, it's important. It's very obvious it was a primary goal of South Carolina's to get a guy who checked those boxes. I think more so maybe than any other box aside from, you know, has he ever picked up a football before? Here's the thing I can't shake. So now that the hire is made, it's not, you know, who's going to get it, speculation, hot board, all that stuff. Here's what I can't shake. The idea of us looking down the road, kind of like I did a couple of weeks ago, but different context here, looking down the road and everyone remembering, in South Carolina at least, everyone remembering what the talk was. Because they're looking around and he, it's, it's kind of inverse right now. In and around Carolina, the approval of this hire is overwhelming. That's why really outsiders don't matter right now. They love the hire and that's what matters. If you do, though, let's just say you're an Iowa fan, so you're not in Carolina, you're just kind of curious. The outside perception is probably 30-70, positive-negative. Maybe some indifferent, but most people don't think it's going to work out, just to be blunt about it. Three years down the road, what if that old scenario I kicked to you a couple of weeks ago, what if it's happening? What if they are in contention for the SEC East? Uh, the, The program and the roster perfectly reflects the thumbprint of Shane Beamer. It ends up being a home run hire. Let's just say against the odds, it ends up being a home run hire. Think about the energy around the program. Not only will they have a winning product on the field, but here's what they'll also know. They'll also know the guy that only we believed in 
When everyone else doubted it, that's who's winning. It's kind of like that 2019 energy from LSU, to be honest with you. Just kind of hopefully stretch it out over more than just one year. It's that energy where one of our guys is leading our program and screw the rest of you. You didn't believe in him when we hired him, but we did. So we know what's better for our program than you'll ever know what's better for our program. Most of you, the only time you're ever in Carolina is to go to one of our beaches. You couldn't find Columbia without a GPS navigation in your car. So we don't really care what you think about our hire. Our hire has been money. And now our hire has got us on the field with Georgia and we're... Third down and two, 23-23 tie, fourth quarter. I mean, if we convert here, we're in field goal range to win the SEC East. Is that a long shot? To me, it is. But if it does pan out, you have got the ingredients for a cult-like run, the likes of which, and the energy, the likes of which, you haven't seen in quite a while in Columbia, South Carolina. And not the kind of bad cult that, you know, makes you up and move to a remote village in you know, Central America because, or South America because folks are after you. Not that kind of cult, a good kind of cult, but the kind of cult where it's circle the wagons and you're either in here or you're not in here. And you need to draw the line right now and you need to decide who's in there and who's not in there. That's how this could pan out. Of course, you and I are both smart enough and reasonable enough to know it also could flop. So there's that. But um, I would selfishly since back in Columbus, they still call me Cocky Jr. because they, they thought I went to Carolina. I just worked for a bunch of folks who had gone to Carolina. But since I have been given that label, I'll play it and I'll pull for Shane Beamer. I have no problem doing that. And I have no problem being honest about it either. All right, uh, let's talk about the Ramen Noodle Express. We had, well, we had a car derail earlier today. We like that to happen before the game start, though. So we had Ohio plus four against Kent. And I didn't know before I walked in here tonight that game's been canceled. We, I, I didn't even, we didn't even know enough to scratch it out on the graphic here. So we'll have that fixed uh, Thursday night. But here's what we do have. I gave you Virginia plus two and a half. I am considering, strongly, upping that to a double play, which I haven't done this year. But we are, we are very confident in that pick. I'll just say that. So we got Virginia plus two and a half. Colorado minus one. That's a Friday night game. They're playing Utah. Colorado minus one is our second play. Wake Forest plus two and a half against Louisville. I think that game's on Saturday, early kick. Uh, Wake Forest is plus two and a half. There are several more games coming. I cannot in strong enough terms stress that you need to be following me on Twitter at LateKickJosh. That is where I tweet out the picks a lot of times. In fact, most of the time before I ever give them on the show. And sometimes by the time I've given them on the show, the line has moved. So aside from a lot of other things that we talk about on Twitter, that's the first place that the picks surface, at Late Kick Josh. Make sure you're following me there. And that concludes our show. I told you we'd get it in in under an hour. I mean, that's, that is efficiency. You, you rarely find that these days. So for Director Colin, for Producer Jordan on the podcast side of things, I'm Josh Pate. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll see you again here Thursday night. Have a great evening and God bless. on Paramount Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus.